Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Everybody, this is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. You know, this is Women's History Month, and we have today Dr. Ann Hoyt, who is a pioneer in the cooperative movement. Good morning, Ann. How are you doing? Good morning, Vernon. I'm just fine. Fantastic. I have a little cold. It sounds like you might also. Oh, I usually sound like that. So, (laughs) permanent condition. And looking over your history, I see you wrote a paper or a book called Women and the Cooperative Movement. Yeah, it was a paper. I've written on this topic several times over my many years in the co-ops. And the situation has changed so much that that, I think, is an old um, reflection on the topic. And I think we've made a lot of progress since I first started writing about it. So what are some of the areas that you first found when you wrote in, what are some of the changes that have happened when you said we've made a lot of progress? Well, when I first got involved with co-ops, I was working with a food co-op, and um, many of the members were women, but most of the people that were on the board were men, and there were a few women involved, and I got on the board and eventually became the board chair, but that was the first time they'd had a woman chair of the board. And I think that in the early days when I was working with co-ops, I often was the only woman in the room. For example, when I first started at the National Co-op Business Association, there was a woman who was um, the secretary for the board, and me and everyone else was men. And now that's not the case anymore, either at the National Co-op Business Association or in many of the co-ops that I've worked with recently. There's a much higher percentage of women on the boards, and particularly the consumer co-ops, the ones that focus on credit credit unions, food, housing, domestic services, child care, all of those services that are typically women's issues. There are many more women on the boards and many more women managers of those organizations, too. So... Early on, you had women as members, and you had men as the leaders or in the government or in the board of directors. Right, exactly. And there was an assumption then, I think, that men are supposed to be the leaders, and women, not to minimize it, were considered to be the worker bees, um, but the men were going to lead. And interestingly, in the International, there's been a lot of focus on women's roles in the international cooperative movement. Mm-hmm. And that assumption that men should take leadership roles is still very strong in a number of the developing countries where co-ops are being started and run. So this is a, I don't know, 
everybody, this is probably a, an issue from the beginning of time that men are supposed <laughs> to lead and women are well, supposed to follow and do the work. In matriarchal societies, that wouldn't be the case. Yeah. Um, but since we are very much um, a male-dominated society, I think that's the case for a long time, at least. But yeah. there have been women, you know, that have been very dominant in history. Many of the queens, obviously the queens of England or the women in uh, Western Europe and many um, matrilineal societies in other parts of the world. But here in the United States, I'd say this is pretty much an assumption that men lead. Um, but we're getting over that, don't you think? Yes. And probably for some really good reasons that we need to get over it, because it seems like, well, let me jump out real quickly, that women cooperate somehow better than men do and seem like women have a nurturing leadership, almost like a natural role from my 70 years on this planet of experience. What's your view on that? Well, I was uh, getting ready for talking to you today and found um, a study of the value of gender-balanced leadership in corporations. And this was an academic study. And the results were fascinating. They find that when there are at least about 30% women on boards of directors or in management, that that provides a really strong competitive advantage for a business. And they found that these gender-balanced corporations had an 84% advantage for return on sales, a 60% advantage for return on invested capital, and a 46% advantage on return on equity. So you have to wonder, what is it that women bring to those leadership roles that creates a competitive advantage apparently, for any business. Wow. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) A 60% advantage on return on investment? Yeah, on ROI. And I think, just off the top of my head, that women are much more concerned with business from a consumer's point of view. Um, They are consumers. They're the primary consumers in the society. And I think they may be more in touch with the customers of businesses and what their needs are and focus more on trying to meet those needs than other kinds of things. You know? So that's just my guess at why that is, but I, I thought it was quite interesting. I think it's extremely interesting, and it fits my hypothesis, although perhaps for a different reasoning, that women make extremely good leaders. That's the hypothesis I made. And the, but if you get a 60% advantage on a return on investment, and, and when I did my MBA, return on investment was the only variable that seemed to have made sense and on all the analysis, whether you go left or go right, was depending on how good was the return on investment. So I think, in, in at least when I was in class, if somebody had said, you can get a better return on investment if you have women leaders, that would have been a real good reason to get more women in the classroom and in leadership positions. Yeah. Now, what's the 84% advantage on return on sales? uh, 84% was what they found on return on sales. So they were getting better returns on sales and better returns on invested capital. So 
Unfortunately, I can't give you the uh, reasons for that other than my conjectures and yours. But I find it fascinating uh, the roles that women have taken and the impact that being in leadership roles and being in cooperatives has had on women both here in the United States and overseas. Research shows that there are distinct benefits um, for developing countries to promoting cooperatives and women in cooperatives because it creates social and economic well-being for those women and for their families. And that, in turn, can be shown to increase the well-being of a community. So the tendency now for international development programs appears to be to we have a strong focus on getting women into, at least in cooperative development, women into cooperatives and giving them the tools that they need to function well in the economy. That is exciting. Yeah, That's it's exciting. very exciting. And what happens to women is, is fascinating. One of the things that um, is true often of women is that they're economically isolated. They may, for example, be extremely wonderful craftspeople, but they don't have a way to market the things that they make. And if they join in a co-op, they have the they get the power of other people so that they develop a significant amount of production and they get access to markets so that they can generate new income for their families from the skills that they have. Another thing that happens has happened here for domestic workers here in the United States is that people work independently or have often worked independently, either providing home cleaning services or home care services for the elderly and disabled. And in just in, I'd say, in the last 20 years or so, people have started organizing those domestic workers into co-ops. And because they're a group of people providing services, they've been able to raise their average wage because they're negotiating from a business standpoint and not an individual standpoint. They've been able to improve the quality of the jobs that they are doing. And they've also had a number of interactions that give them an advantage in um, improving their economic status. One of my students did a survey or a study of a um, home care co-op here in Wisconsin. And our theory was that when women are in cooperatives, they are able to have access to networks of businesses and professionals through their co-op that they wouldn't have had access to as individuals. And that access gives them the connections that they need to get better wages, negotiate better contracts to provide care from the county government. They would go to conferences and get increased training in this case, doing home care. And they expanded their own leadership skills by being the owners of this business and being on a board of directors. Really remarkable. It's amazing how to not only get financial wealth, but also social wealth. And that's part of what you're talking about, how you just through knowledge, through learning, through contacts, through networking. 
Right, mm-hmm. exactly. It builds, the whole point of our paper was that cooperatives create social capital as well as financial capital, just like you said. In the book, uh, Cities Building Wealth, the Democracy Collaborative out of University of Maryland wrote, and it said that uh, later they highlighted Christina, who is a Mexican-American, who went from $7 an hour to $20 an hour, mm-hmm. three times right. by them forming a co-op, and she does cleaning, house cleaning. So mm-hmm. she's a single parent, and what she ended up doing was working less hours, making more money, and having more time for her children. So right. the whole community works. So we're going to take our first break. This is fantastic, exciting information. And we had a lady on last week from Pittsburgh, Lakeisha Wolf. I want to talk to you about her a little bit and some of the things I learned about what they're doing in, in Pittsburgh. But we'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch the dial. We have Dr. Ann Hoyt on the line with us this morning. And uh, we have a lot more exciting information for you. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WO at 95.9 FM. Information is power. This is what Dr. Ann Hoyt has given us this morning. The information that if you use it, you can have power, create capital, social capital, and financial capital. Dr. Hoyt, it seems like it doesn't make any difference where, whether it's in Wisconsin or Pittsburgh or Cleveland or any developing country or non-developing country, co-ops help people and particularly help women. I've seen where it helps minorities, any marginalized people. Uh, wherever it might be. And I like what uh, Dame Pauline Green said when she was the president of the International Cooperative Alliance. She was on the on this program, and she said, cooperatives brings people out of poverty with dignity. And I like mm-hmm. that with dignity piece. And that's what we were talking about. Lakeisha Wolf, out of, they have a group called the Ujama Collective, and they are out of Pittsburgh, and she was saying that women and Pittsburgh African American women were making like seven thousand dollars a year, and that's what that's what they were making. And then they joined this cooperative, and they're artists, and they create different things, and they pool their resources, and they've got a storefront, and they're just doing a lot of good for themselves and their community. And that's and she talked about how women end up feeling much better about themselves and their families, and the whole community benefits. Love co-ops that way. <laughs> and I guess that's why you spent your whole life working in this. Well, I um, actually got involved in co-ops because I was concerned about economic justice. And I suppose being a child of the 50s, I thought everybody should have access to um, the American dream. And the co-ops were the way that that could happen. And I've seen it all over the world. Through cooperatives, I've had the opportunity to travel many, many, many places. And every place I've gone, I have seen this evidence of what co-ops do for families and communities, and particularly what they do for women and the skills they provide. I was in um, Zambia on a co-op trip, and we were out way out of the city and in a village and going to a class where co-op members were being taught how to read, since especially in order to, you know, 
be able to understand what's going on in your co-op. Somebody, at least, and probably most of the members should be able to read, so they're being taught how to read. Then there was a woman there that came from a neighboring village, and she was uh, talking to us about what that meant to her, and she said that their co-op had taught her how to read and how to understand the numbers involved in business, and that was something that nobody could ever take away from her. For her whole life, she would be able to read. I thought, you know, that kind of a tremendous impact on an individual is something we don't usually think about here in the States. We kind of assume that literacy is fairly common, and that was tremendously moving to hear that woman say that whatever else happened in her life, she could read now. And I like the fact that nobody can take that away from me because that's what my grandfather told me. And I want to be a little frank here. What he would tell me, and uh, he was a World War One vet, and whether he was sober or drunk, he always said, get an education boy, get an education boy, get an education boy. That's the only thing a white man can't take from me. That's right. So it's racism in, in its context, but it also meant a lot of, you know, it's learning how to read, learning how to think, learning the numbers, uh, just learn, 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 learn. And that's, that ingrained in me really early on. Uh, sitting on his knee, get an education, exactly. get an education. And I like the ladies, the same thing in Zambia or in Bluefield, West Virginia, or anywhere else in the world is getting the knowledge. And it's amazing to me, Ann, how when people want to hold people down, the two things, at least in in our American culture and perhaps in others also, is they don't want to, t- you don't want to train people. You don't want to educate people if you want to keep them under your finger and you don't want them, if it's a democracy, you don't want to let them vote. Those two mm-hmm. things seem to be very, very prevalent. That don't teach them and don't let them vote. Right, and it's it's interesting that there's quite a, or there used to be, I don't know if there is now, quite a lot of discussion of people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and uh, support for self-help and all that kind of thing. And that's what co-ops are. Basically, that's they are people helping themselves to get a better situation in their lives. And what is astonishing to me is that co-ops provide education. They provide, you know, the principles are for uh, equity and for democracy and self-help and all of the other things. And they aren't supported the way they should be, I think, by um, all sides of the political spectrum. I mean, what could be better than people gathering together to learn and build businesses that serve their needs? And solve community problems. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't get it. I don't, I've, I've never gotten it. I, I put some hypotheses together also early on, um, like 10 years ago, saying things like, well, if somebody's wealthy, you want to keep the wealth coming in to you and you don't want the, the masses to get the wealth. Then you keep them uneducated and you make sure that they don't know about co-ops because co-ops is a way, I, I call it redistributing wealth, but it's the new wealth, the, the wealth that's being made today. How do you redistribute that so that the masses of people are, are able to get the money? The co-ops is the only way I know how to do that. It's clear that those that have the billion dollars, the one percenters, they want to change the tax laws so they get more. 
and the trickle down didn't work before. And I don't know if it did in Wisconsin, but it surely did not in D.C. and West Virginia, where I'm from. (laughs) Well, um, Wisconsin, we have our own struggles right now. But the things that's so fascinating to me about co-ops is that it seems to me that in the economy, you can distribute wealth to the people who own capital, the people who have resources, or the people that produce labor. And in a co-op, what you do is you minimize the return to people that have capital. You do get a return for your investment, but it's minimized. But your return comes either from what you've produced and sold through the co-op, or it comes back to you if you're a consumer in terms of reduced costs for the goods you're consuming. So essentially, the wealth wealth is returning to the members of the co-op instead of going to outside investors that are concentrating basically um, own capital and the wealth concentrates in the owners of capital. To me, that's the fascinating thing about the business, this type of business. Absolutely. That's what totally turned me on. We got to understand it. And it wasn't through any education um, uh, institution. I didn't get it through any of the formal education I got it, and I, I, when I'm looking at your history, you learned a lot at the University of Berkeley. Uh, I didn't make it up to Berkeley. I, I went to Stanford and got my MBA. I was going to go to Berkeley to see about getting an MBA there, but I, I got on Stanford's campus and liked it so much, I decided I wanted to go to school there. So I never got up to Berkeley. may have been a mistake from the standpoint of learning about co-ops earlier on in my career. But to learn about co-ops and see the benefits, like you just said, where the Financial wealth goes with the membership. I want to give a quick definition of co-ops. A co-ops or any business you can think of. It can be a cooperative. If it's, It depends on who owns and controls it. If it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. If it's owned and controlled by those persons that buys um, the products or services, it's called a consumer cooperative. And Dr. Hoyt has mentioned several of those already, the consumer cooperatives, housing co-ops, food co-ops. There's a clinic that uh, Dr. Hoyt is on the board of that is a consumer cooperative. So it's when the consumers own and control it, and then they decide, they create a board of directors, they elect a board of directors, and the board of directors set the policies and procedures, and therefore the members have control over how the organization is run. There's two other types of co-ops. One is on the producing cooperative and a marketing cooperative, purchasing cooperative rather than a marketing cooperative. And you see farmers and artists on both of these, a lot of those. And you can see other ones where people come together and they uh, purchase things. There's a co-op here, Dr. Hood called it a consumer purchasing alliance. And it started with churches and charter schools where it turns out that churches particularly were paying way, way too much for services. And so they come together and just trash collection. They've saved uh, lots and lots of money. Uh, and on the other end, it's a marketing, and that's artists who do that. They'll come together and they'll sell their goods, and farmers do the same thing. So those are the different forms of co-ops, and we would really encourage you to look up co-ops, buy from them, and also look at starting your own. Dr. Hoyt, we got to take our second break, and then we'll be back to talk more about women in cooperatives and the different benefits of being a cooperative member, getting good products and services and able to make a profit while you're doing it. We'll be right back. 
Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks with Everything Cooperative. The National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program. NCB's mission is to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. They have a, a tremendous mission and do a really, really great job, so we're glad to for them to support this this radio program. And uh, Dr. Ann Hoyt is our guest today. And you used to be on the board of, of uh, NCB? Uh, yes, I was. Okay. A long time ago. <laughs> in the early days, very early days. We've talked about so much in this first half an hour. It seems like it's so much material to cover. But it's like the benefits for women in co-ops, it's really the benefits for anybody, but for women particularly, it's a way of getting their feet, of getting their self-worth, value. How would you suggest that women that might be listening could get involved in this cooperative movement? Oh, that's a big question. The first thing is to look around in the local community and see what co-ops already exist there. And if those clubs meet your needs, to join them. Uh, one of the best things I think for, I feel real comfortable about recommending is people, women and men both, think very carefully about joining a local credit union. Credit unions are financial institutions whose purpose is to provide excellent financial services to their members rather than to generate profits for their um, outside investors. And usually their um, terms for loans and what they pay on invested capital is advantageous in the marketplace, and credit unions provide a lot of additional services in terms of financial education. Some have insurance products and then a wide variety of financial services. So the first thing I would do is look, around in my community and see if there's a credit union. The second thing, uh, in many communities, there are food co-ops, and they may or may not meet your particular needs for what kind of food you're interested in purchasing, but many of the food co-ops are an excellent source of natural and organic foods, um, alternative kinds of foods, lots of wonderful um, nutrition education is provided by those co-ops, So that's another kind of co-op that, you know, it's fairly easy to get involved with. The other thing is to just look up in the phone book under cooperatives. Well, you don't do that anymore. Look on the web (laughs) and and, uh, look for cooperatives that are listed in your community and see what's available. I first got involved with co-ops through a class I was taking at the University of California, and I needed to have a project as part of the work for the class, and I found this food co-op that was looking for a volunteer, and so I just volunteered in the co-op. In those days, we called them pre-order co-ops. It was a very, very large food buying club, but the point is that you can read about co-ops, too. There's a tremendous amount of resources on the web about cooperatives, what they are, where they are, what kinds of services they provide. And if there's a community need that you recognize, um, 
I was involved uh, when our son was first born. We couldn't find any real good options for child care. And we had been in a group of parents, you know, getting ready to have their first kid. And we organized, those parents organized a babysitting co-op. And we would trade off babysitting and, and just accumulated hours. So no cash traded hands, which was good because most of us didn't have much. And that was just a group of us that realized we had the same need and organized the system to um, meet that need. That's how a lot of the food co-ops started, too. And there are resources in most states, cooperative development organizations that help um, groups of people start co-ops. So there's a number of different ways. But at first, the most important, um, you have to have a group of people that share the same need. And there's a reason to organize a business to try to provide them. You know, it's interesting that you said the first thing is to go see what's in your neighborhood. And here around the D.C. area, there are several food co-ops. There's one in Silver Spring, Silver Spring Co-op. There's a Greenbelt Food Co-op. There's a food co-op I just learned about about a month ago called Glut, G-L-U-T, mm-hmm. going out Rhode Island Avenue. Then there's all f- types of credit unions here. And yes. you can find a credit union, join a credit union, but don't do like I first did. I joined a credit union because it just seemed like a good financial institution, that, particularly to buy a car. The prices were a lot cheaper when I first joined. I didn't even know it was a co-op when I first joined a credit union. But get involved. Right. Get on a committee. Uh, learn about it. Um, and maybe even run for the board of directors. Exactly. I think one of the things about running for a board board seat is having been involved in committees or um, volunteering in programs that the co-op sponsors or seeing, you know, how as a member you can be involved so that you know about the organization. One of the challenges, I think, right now in credit unions, the large ones, is that they have become such large businesses that it takes a while to develop the knowledge of the business in order to be considered to be a director. So volunteering is a wonderful way to get started. And I just went on Google and Googled cooperative, and there's a Tacoma Park Cooperative Nursery School that showed Mm -hmm. up. Uh, I know there's a nursery school in Greenbelt. There's also one downtown D.C. in the southwest section, a nursery school. I visited them once. But it's interesting how parents come together and and in most cases perhaps don't have a lot of money, but money and time are two major commodities that are scarce for parents. Mm -hmm. And they come together and work work out ways of getting lower-priced nursery schools. And a lot of times very, very... Uh, good products, really take care of the kids. Any other ideas uh, for people that might be listening how to get involved? There's several co-op resource organizations. Or, For example, there's an organization called the Food Cooperative Initiative, which was specifically designed to help people start food co-ops. Um, and they're on the web. Their offices, they work all over the country, but their offices... Um, main office, I think, is in Minnesota. But they're a good source for food co-ops. Then there's the National Association of Housing Cooperatives that has information about where where there are housing co-ops and what a housing co-op is and how you might be able to join a co-op and then 
I have a unit in that housing co-op. There, I think um, that's NAHC. I think they're located in the greater D.C. area. The Credit Union National Association is the major trade association for credit unions. And then there's the, I get the acronyms wrong for these groups, but the um, Federation of Community Development Credit Unions also is a good source of information for credit unions. And then there's a worker co-op organization. I think that's easy to find on the web if you Google just worker cooperatives. I think that's the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. Yes, that's it. Good. Thank you. Yeah. So once you look at, at associations or groups that are interested in co-op development, you'll find somebody for practically every kind of co-op you can think about. But also in different regions. I know at in, uh, in the, at the University of California at Davis, they have a co-op um, center. center. Mm-hmm. And we have one in Wisconsin called University of Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives. There's several co-op development agencies and foundations, too. If you Google, Google cooperative foundations, those often have information for development of new co-ops or lists of existing co-ops. And then, of course, the National Co-op Business Association, NCBA CLUSA, C-L-U-S-A, has a master list of cooperatives all over the country. I believe that's on the web. So there's lots of sources of information. The important thing is to be clear about what need that you have that you think might be met by a cooperative, and then if there isn't a co-op near you to see if other people in your community have that need, and then look to some of these organizations to help you figure out how to start one. Another good source, actually, is um, cooperative extensions in all of the states. Extension service often has cooperative experts, and that's actually how I was first hired at the University of Wisconsin was to be a consumer cooperative expert. What's a, what's a cooperative extension? That's a new term for me. It's a division of uh, state universities that's um, like the extension service at um, here. It would be um, through the University of Wisconsin Extension. Okay. And there's an extension service in every state and I believe also in the District of Columbia. And you just look up your state and um, cooperative extension service. And you can find um, the resources there for co-ops. And they have they have developed a lot of resources. Then the local library is a good source for information, or if not a local library, your university library maybe. Um, the university library at University of Wisconsin has a tremendous amount of information on developing cooperatives. You know, lots, lots of sources. There are lots of sources, but it seems like at least when people want to get started, they don't know where to get started. Um, And right here in the district, there's the Cooperative Development Foundation, CDF. Mm -hmm. They have a few grants and some some money also for technical support. One of the great things about it, if you know what kind of business, and um, early on in this program, Dr. Hoyt, um, a gentleman said that uh, co-ops are formed to solve community problems. Mm-hmm. And he further said if there's no community problem, then there's, then there's no need for a co-op. But 
So if there's an issue that you want to resolve, if you know what that issue is, then you can find people around that issue and maybe a co-ops that have already formed in other parts of the country and then find that people in co-ops are really, really helpful in giving you the information to get started. Everybody want to see, it seemed like to me, at least my experience have been, is that people in co-ops really want to help get you the education you need to be successful business. Definitely, and I think they're certainly willing to share their contacts and share, you know, how they got started if they're, you know, relatively new in the business and provide lots of information. I, I've found co-op people to be remarkable in, in um, how much time they're willing to inf- yeah, invest in starting up a new co-op. And we're going to take our last break, the last time for that, and then we'll be back with our Last segment, and give more information about how to start or find a cooperative. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks on Everything Cooperative. Dr. Ann Hoyt is our guest this morning. Do you have anything burning in your heart that you want to tell people, Dr. Hoyt? I do, but they aren't all appropriate to your show. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I did um, do some thinking about about women in co-ops that uh, we haven't talked about that I might like to do. And okay. but one thing I wanted to do before that is tell you that during the break, I just Googled cooperative development organizations. And when you do that, it brings up some of the very best ones in the country. So that's much easier than me um, telling you the ones that I remember off the top of my head. Just Google cooperative development organizations. Okay. The other thing I wanted, a couple of things I wanted to say, as wonderful as a co-op can be for people, like most things that are wonderful, they don't come easily. Mm-hmm. And it's not um, an easy thing, as you well know, to start a business. And to keep it running, and when you add the nature of a cooperative business, which is a group of people um, maybe that have a need but don't know as much about the business as they could, it makes the starting of the business more difficult. So I want to encourage your listeners that if they're interested in co-ops to read about what it means to start a co-op, what a co-op is. It's a legal form of business and what the requirements are for operating a cooperative, and definitely to get help. Those are my first things about starting a co-op. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about the women in co-ops. And I I was going to talk, if you like, Mm -hmm. about some of the remarkable things I've seen around the world in terms of women in co-ops. I'd love to hear that. You would? Okay, well, I told you about Turkmenistan. No, I didn't. I told you about Zambia, but I was in Turkmenistan late last year, and I was on a tour, and the tour guide said to us at the end of the tour, I have some items that women in our community have made, clothing and some knickknacks and things. Would you be interested in seeing them? And so, you know, the people on the tour, of course, wanted to support this lady and whatever she had, and so she brought these beautiful dresses and children's clothes and fabric-based goods for the home, uh, pillows and things like that. 
And she pulled them out of these big bags, and we were in a hotel lobby, and she spread them out on these couches in the lobby. And the people on the tour, especially the women, were just shopping like crazy. And Mm -hmm. I said to her, um, to the woman that was the tour guide, I said, "Um, by any chance, are these women working together, or are you just the marketer for them, or do they have an organization? And she said, well, yes, they're organized. And she was sort of hesitant to talk about it. And I said, well, are are they in a co-op? And she said, well, yes, they are, and told me that she and a Peace Corps volunteer had started this co-op in the 90s. And today, the women in that co-op, and that co-op is totally supporting 22 families in a small village outside of the capital city, which to me was very exciting. Was, you know, to see someone pull these things out of a bag and know that she's selling them sort of, you know, casually, mm-hmm. but supporting these families was very exciting. So they had figured out ways to sell their goods wholesale as well as, you know, on these tours. So that was one of my my good experience about women and what they can do with their crafts. Another story is from um, South Africa. Uh, that was a National Co-op Business Association trip. And we had been invited to have coffee with some Africans women. Um, so they primarily were of Dutch heritage who had started a cafe and a bakery. And we scheduled our meeting, and we arrived, and they told us that since we were coming, they had invited women from a craft co-op to come and meet us as well. And these women were from Soweto, which, you know, is a a very low-income area in in Johannesburg, uh, a slum, basically. And these women had wonderful crafts, and the Dutch women had invited the women from Soweto to come and meet the women from the United States. And the Dutch women, while we were there watching them, negotiated with the Soweto women to display their crafts on the walls all around their bakery. And that happened after the two groups of women sat down and started conversations about their children and especially their grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And here's these two cultural groups that had almost no interaction with each other, talking about things that were common interests among women, and that developed a, enough trust, and they had known something about these each other before, but it developed enough trust that the Dutch women were willing to make an agreement to sell the crafts for them in their store, which to me was um, a real testimony to the power of the idea of cooperating that opens up people to discussing other things that are um, that they have in common. And did they know anything about your background in co-ops? My background, they just knew I was from a co-op organization in, in the United States. No, okay. Okay. I was just watching this. I mean, it was fascinating. <laughs> just fascinating. And I've had the opportunity to watch things like that before. Another time, uh, I already mentioned being in Zambia, um, the... National Co-op Business Association is an international development um, organization and had a project in Zambia. And the villagers where this project was operating was quite a big project and had a tremendous impact on the community. They wanted to have a celebration because people from NCBA were coming. 
And um, at that time, I was treasurer on the board of directors at NCBA and hadn't really thought much about it. It was, you know, I I mean, I obviously thought about doing the job, but Mm -hmm. I didn't think about being in the position. And we drove up, we went way out on this dirt road, horrible roads, bouncing around in Jeeps and arrived. And and people had walked, some of them had walked 10 to 15 miles to come to this meeting to thank the co-ops for the development work they were doing. And when we got out of the car, I was the only woman on that trip. And the women from the co-op had made this huge banner. It must have been 10 feet wide. And they were all holding it, pieces of it, you know, lined up holding this banner mm-hmm. that said in huge letters, women are partners in development. And they, I think from, you know, the way that they wanted to talk to me and touch me and, you know, those kinds of things, what excited them so much was that here was an organization that the men in their community really, really respected and were grateful for, and that this organization had a woman in the leadership positions. And that, to me, that was um, a real wonderful way to see how cooperatives can help women understand their potential and what wow. they can do. Wow. It was a great, it was a wonderful experience. I could go on and on, but I don't think you want me to tell stories for the rest of your show. Well, we only had a couple more minutes. <laughs> so I think it's a great way to end the show to talk about how co-ops have helped women and can help women in the development and of themselves, their family, the community, the world. Somewhere, well, I, have, was... I have one more to tell you if okay. you want to hear it. All right, we've got about a minute and a half to do it. Okay. Now, we were in Banda Aceh, and you may remember Banda Aceh. It's in Sumatra. It was the city that was, or region that was totally destroyed by a huge tsunami several years ago. And in this town, there was almost nothing left, and there were a few houses standing. And women in that town had lost, they all talked about before the tsunami and after the tsunami. Everyone we talked to, we talked to a lot of women, every single one of them had lost their children, their husbands, some member parents of their family. It was a tremendously devastating thing and an event and incredibly tragic. And in those few buildings that were left, we met with women who were organizing cooperatives to provide jobs by marketing crafts together and had set up a credit union to sort of pool their funds so they could help each other regroup and to start little stores because the stores, everything was washed away. And they were doing this through cooperatives. That was another just stunning example of the potential of this kind of business of people working together to meet their needs in a business. Have you had an opportunity to go back and see how well they've done? No, I wish I could, but I know, you know, it isn't a place where I would go very often, you know, (laughs) but I would love to know how they've done. Uh, It was amazing their, their um, belief in their future and their determination to survive and to overcome this huge disaster. It's restored my faith in the power of people working together. It's amazing. You cannot even imagine that kind of devastation. One of the wonderful things about cooperatives in in my having a career, having had the opportunity to work in cooperatives, is I've seen those things 
over and over and over again in the United States and around the world, that just the tremendous power of people working together for a common goal. Thank you, Dr. Hoyt. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so very much for coming on and sharing with us the benefits of co-ops to everybody, particularly women, on this Women's History Month. Have a great, great rest of the day. And for everybody out there, have a great week, and we'll see you next Thursday. Please live cooperatively. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOF, and 95.